I'm Meg Dahl, your Unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. Now, I am super pumped for you to listen to today's episode. I have one of my very good friends. She's a new friend, but we instantly bonded over so many things that we have in common. And she's just like so awesome. So I cannot wait for you to meet Erin Holt today. She is absolutely amazing. We chat about her past with battling with eating disorders, and she just has such a powerful message. And I really cannot wait for you to listen to us chat. It was such a great conversation. But first, I have to thank you guys, okay? So to be completely honest, I have never logged into iTunes and read any of the reviews that you've left me before. But oh my gosh, while I was editing today's podcast episode, I was just scrolling through iTunes to see some of the other titles of my previous episodes. Anyways, I thought I've never actually read any of my reviews before. So I scrolled down to the reviews and read some of them and I just welled up with tears and I am pretty much speechless. I don't even know how to thank you guys. So if you have let left me a review on iTunes, I read it and my heart is so full and I really want to call you out right now and let you know that I am speaking directly to you and I am just absolutely grateful. So thank you, thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know I've never actually even mentioned podcast iTunes reviews on this show before. It's not something that I've really even asked for. So I just am absolutely humbled that you have taken the time out of your day to hop on iTunes and leave me a review. Honestly, it means so much to me and it truly does allow me to connect with a larger audience when there's more like activity on a podcast on iTunes. It does allow us podcasters to reach more people. So by you doing that, that really does help me out. And I am truly so grateful. And I just needed to take the time today and thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know it is Um, Thanksgiving in America this week. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And this is what I'm grateful for this week. We already had our Thanksgiving back in October, but 
I am going to tell you one thing that I will definitely be jealous when I'm scrolling through Instagram on Thursday and seeing all of your delicious looking plates. So I'll just be at home eating all of my own delicious foods, but things taste different on Thanksgiving, right? It just, it's different. You got those Thanksgiving vibes and the Thanksgiving food. Anyways, I'm super excited for all of my friends in the States to finally be enjoying Thanksgiving with their families. Now, one last thing, I know so many of you connect with me and ask me questions about essential oils and I just want to be sure to let you know that if you have not received like an email or saw me chatting about it on Instagram yet, this week, all week long is buy one, get one free with doTERRA essential oils. So a lot of you have been asking me if doTERRA runs a Black Friday sale. This is kind of like our Black Friday sale. So all week long, we have a buy one, get one event. Now, if you have any questions about this, definitely shoot me an email at magtherhn at gmail.com and we can chat. I can help you get set up with oils, but um, I have also created a page on my website for you just to go to. I walk you through the steps on how to place an order. This is a great time to start your oil collection so you can grab an oil and also get one for free. There's two different essential oils featured every single day. So I'm recording this on Tuesday and I don't yet know what the BOGO is, the buy one, get one free deal is for Wednesday yet, which is when this podcast releases. But just hop on Instagram. I'm always updating you guys on Instagram, but also send me an email or go to magtherhn.com slash BOGO. So that's B-O-G-O stands for buy one, get one. And yeah, I'm just really excited. It's a very busy week for me. We're welcoming so many new women to our Nourished and Free community. So if you are one of those brand new Nourished and Free members, a special welcome and special love being sent out to you today. And yeah, I'm just really happy that I'm able to work with so many of you in different ways and help show you how to use nature as a way to take care of yourself even better because we all deserve to take care of ourselves in this natural way. So that's all I have to share with you today. Let's get to the episode with Aaron Holt. Erin, I am so happy to have you on the show with me today. I've been wanting to talk to you for such a long time. Um, I'm pumped to be here. We're both Jessica Flanagan groupies, which is how we got bonded over the internet, I think. 
Yes. Yeah. And I actually had Jessica on my show several weeks ago. So it's just cool to have you here. Someone else who loves her just as much as I do. I know when I first came across your Instagram profile and you were saying just how much you love Jessica, I was like, oh my gosh, we need to be best friends because I feel the exact same way about her. I loved the show that you guys did. And I've been like hardcore stalking her for years now. So I feel like I've listened to everything she's put out. I'm also involved in her coaching certification program, which I know you are too. So I have like a lot of Jessica, um, like stuff built into my brain, but what you, the show you guys did was still so awesome. It was so, so good. Oh, good. And I honestly, that means so much to me, honestly, because I feel the same way about her. Anything she does, I'm like, ooh, I got to read that. I got to listen to that. And so to have her on my show, it was a pretty big deal for me. And now for you and I to both be in her group coaching program, I think it's pretty amazing. But I kind of wish I was in your group. So I got to know you even better. (laughs) So Erin, for everyone listening today, if they're not familiar with who you are, could you give us a little intro? Totally. So um, I, my name is Erin Holt and I am a functional nutritionist. I went to school to be, and I think this is the same, same vibe as you. I went to school to become a registered dietitian. So I studied and got my degree in nutrition and dietetics. And then I was like abort mission because I realized it just wasn't in, in aligned with any of my philosophies. Um, so I decided to further my education. I became a health coach. I started uh, practicing yoga. I started teaching yoga. I started teaching meditation. I totally like went off script. Um, and it has led me to a really cool and interesting career. Um, I just recently finished an integrative and functional nutrition Academy. So I got, um, a lot more training around the whole functional medicine, functional nutrition piece. Um, and so I work primarily with women who are like stressed out, strung out, um, have been through the ringer with diet culture, have been through the ringer with conventional medicine, kind of have been like chewed up and spit out, uh, like dropped into a bucket of like, yeah, we don't know what to do with you. Sorry, we can't help. Um, And I see a lot of, I would say, long-term consequences of the diet industry. If I were to kind of wrap it all up in a, in a nutshell, that would, that's what it would be. It's like the end of the, the end of the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and that relates to me so much, but wow, about the dietetics thing, I had no idea. So I'm just going to kind of get into that a little bit because I honestly have never talked to someone that's like, so like me before in that sense too. That's really interesting to me. So when was it that you were just kind of like, whoa, this is not for me and I don't want to go ahead and actually be an RD? So I'm going to back up a step and explain kind of why I got into it. I had always been into, and I use air quotes, into health and nutrition. And really it was just like a raging eating disorder in disguise, right? Like I read Self Magazine because I wanted to learn how to be skinnier. Um, But it was cloaked in this whole idea of health. Like, oh, Erin's just a healthy person. Um, And so 
I can talk more about like my sordid past with, with eating disorders, but basically at a certain point in my life, I was like, I need to fix myself. Like I realized I had a problem and I was like, I need to be the one to fix myself because I totally believed I was broken, like broken beyond repair. And the only person that could help me is myself. And so I was like, well, I know what I can do. I can go back to school to become a registered dietitian, right? I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to fix all my problems. And I'm going to get really skinny doing it. <laughs> like still super, super disordered mentality. Um, and at the time, I was like sort of dipping my toe into the whole alternative health world. And so I had that like in the back of my brain. Like there's a different way to approach things, right? And um they just didn't go into it in school. I mean, it was really steeped in science, which I believe is extraordinarily important. If you're going to be a nutrition professional, right, you you need to have a deep, deep understanding of nutritional biochemistry and like physiology, what's going on inside the body. So I'm forever grateful for that, that background. Um, but there was just not a whole lot of room for dialogue. So I would ask a question um, like about B12 analogs, or I would ask a question about GMOs and, hey, isn't that kind of playing God? And I basically was told like, well, this is the way that it's taught. And there's not really a whole lot of room for conversation around it. And I was like, that just doesn't sit right with me. That's not how I run my life at all. I am a questioner. If you know Gretchen Rubin, the four tendencies, I'm a questioner. So I'm always like, why, but why, but why, but why? Um, and that really, that really bothered me, um, that there was just this whole, you know, things were very black and white. It's like either good or it's bad. There was really no middle ground and there was no, no room for that conversation. And that bothered me. It really did. And then I graduated and I made the Dean's list. I like did everything right. I got all like good grades and all that kind of stuff. And I still wasn't fixed. I still wasn't healed. My eating issues were worse than they ever were. So I'm like, all right, I'm doing all the right things, right? I'm doing everything by the book and I still have issues. So maybe there's something else out there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, okay. Thank you for sharing that. But I do think we have to back up a little bit. But before that, questioner, you are a questioner. I love when people tell me what tendency they are. I am a rebel. So you are? Oh, I am 100% a rebel. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a rebel and no, totally questioner. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about going into university, college, like to study dietetics, to fix yourself because you felt broken. And this was actually after, like, or, you know, at the, you know, you already have been struggling with disordered eating. So can we talk about that time in your life? Because I know a lot of people it would be kind of like the fixing mentality almost comes first and then they develop that disordered relationship with food, right? But you were kind of going into dietetics being like, wow, I have such a disordered relationship with food. Let's go into this. Um, I need to fix myself. Yeah, so um, 
It, unfortunately, it started pretty young. Um, I was, I would just grew up, I was grew up as a chunky kid. Like I was just a chunky kid and I knew that I, I was chunky and, you know, got teased a little bit. Um, when I hit adolescence, so maybe like seventh, eighth grade, I started to grow tall. We have a lot of height in my family. So I started to grow tall and I leaned out just pretty naturally. And I got so much positive feedback from my friends, from peers, from my family. And I am definitely like super type A, um, perfectionist, live for the gold stars. So when I get positive reinforcement, I take it and I run with it. And that's exactly what I did. I literally started running um, and I drastically dropped um, what I was eating. Like, so it was a very restrictive mindset, but it all stemmed from this idea that like, well, being skinny is good, right? Losing weight is obviously worthy of praise. I I saw that in my own life. And then every single message we receive from our culture tells us the same exact thing. So I was just inundated with this message. Um, and so I kept trying to strive for this ideal, like how, how skinny can I get? Because if, if, and I've always been like, I want to be the best. So if I'm going to do something, if I can't be the best, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not saying that this is a healthy attitude, but it's who I am. And so it was kind of like, well, if this is my special thing, if being skinny is my special thing, then you better believe I am going to do it to the best of my ability. Um, and so when, when my eating disorder started, it was, re, it was like very restriction based. Um, and it was borderline anorexia. When my family kind of realized what was going on, they were like, Ooh, we got to get her some help. We went to a nutritionist and, um, it's so funny. I'll never forget. I have a horrible memory, but this is one I will never forget because the nutritionist started to show me how to portion out my food. That was her intervention. And I'm like, let me get this straight. You're going to tell somebody who clearly has restriction problems, how to further restrict. It just didn't make any sense in my head. And it, um, something got through and I started to gain a little bit of weight, which was a necessary thing. But then I got you know, kids in school talking about like, oh, the girl that got fat, right? The girl that gained weight. So here I am, like a young kid, kind of feeling like I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. My family wants me to gain weight, I gain weight, then I get made fun of like, where, what's right, you know? And so I just, I think unconsciously spent a whole lot of time trying to make everybody happy by altering my body. Um, when I went to, and what I'm about to say, I want to preface it by saying that the way I speak about my eating disorder is pretty nonchalant now because I'm so far removed from it that I can do that. But, and I know a lot of your audience struggles still with disordered eating. And so I don't want them to, to think that I'm callous or that, you know, I, this isn't really, really big stuff because it's huge stuff, but it's been many, many, many years. Um, and it was cloaked in secrecy and shame. And it took me a decade to be able to talk about it to anybody else. Um, so just, you know, I just wanted to kind of post that disclaimer. Um, but in high, I, I went to college um, right out of high school, obviously. And there I was introduced to bulimia. So this was something girls were doing in the dorm room. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a practice I can get behind because it kind of fits into the whole mentality that I have. Um, it's like basically like paying for your food sins, right? You like have to repent your food sins. And that was the way that I chose to do it. Um, unfortunately, I think 
the difference maybe between myself and some of the other girls in the dorm room was that they left that behavior behind in college. And for me, I couldn't, it was in an outright addiction. Um, it was the way that I handled everything in my life. It was the way that I coped. It was my safety net. It's what made me feel like me. Um, and so that took, and this is like the scariest part about it. It's like, even when I realized that, oh my God, I have a problem. This is a big problem. Cause there was a point that I was binging and purging up to 12 times a day. It completely overtook my life. Um, even when I real, I admitted to myself that, that I had a problem. And even when I admitted it to, to my family, I couldn't change it, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that is really just the addictive pattern there. It's like, I'm willing to say I need help. I, I can't do this myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, I am sitting here nodding, hun, because I, a hundred percent know what you mean. Um, there was a point in my, like in my journey where I was sitting there and it was like, okay, wow. For the first time in my life, after years of doing these behaviors to myself, I was never, um, bulimic, so I didn't binge and purge, but I was just, I had a very restrictive eating disorder. And, um, after years of doing that, I was like, wow, I really have a problem, but I can't change it, you know? So I was totally in the same boat as you. And just going off what you said about, you know, there was a whole group of you girls who did this um, behavior, this disordered behavior, but then they were able to move on, leave it behind, and it didn't affect their life. And then you couldn't let go of it. And that's like the difference between someone that has an eating disorder and other people, for an example, who do just follow a diet for a set period of time and then they can up and leave and just carry on with life, right? Totally. And it starts to, you know, it kind of feeds into the whole loop of like, well, what's wrong with me? If other people can do this and not have it take over their life, then what's wrong with me? And it's, you know, and i coming from a place where I already felt something was terribly wrong with me. I already felt like I was broken. It just fed that whole loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ever since we started our conversation, there has been a lot of words such as like fixing. You felt like you needed to fix yourself. You felt as though there's something wrong with yourself. So I know obviously this is going to be playing a huge role in your recovery and where you are today is learning how to approach that mentality because that's huge for recovery. Yeah. And it's not something that just goes away either. Um, I feel like I've had many iterations of this same lesson. Um, I think it's, I always butcher her name, Pima Chodron, Chodron. I don't know. Um, but she says nothing really goes away until it's taught us what we need to know. So I just feel like I keep learning this lesson over and over. Um, because even though I recovered from my eating disorder, right, I don't think I ever really recovered from, from diet mentality or diet culture or, you know, this idea that there's something wrong with us, um, that something that needs to be fixed. Um, I, after I had my baby, so I have a four-year-old and 
uh, right after I had her, I started getting really, really sick and nobody could give me any answers. And that's a story in and of itself. But um, I basically had to be a bulldog to, to get some answers. I was like, kept going back to my doctor being like, something's really wrong. Like, listen, I know my body, something's really, really wrong. And it took me a year and I finally got answers. I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called systemic sclerosis. At the same time, I also found out that I had SIBO. So what do I do, but go right into fix it mode. Okay. I can heal this through restriction. I can fix myself through diet. It was like the same mentality just came up. I was like, Oh, hello, old friend. Where have you been? You know, the past several years, it was so weird. Um, so right away I was like, okay, I have an autoimmune disease. I have to do AIP, which is autoimmune paleo protocol. It's an extraordinarily restrictive diet in case anyone isn't familiar with it, who's listening. And then I was also like, oh, I have SIBO. So that means I have to do low FODMAPs, another very restrictive diet. So I smashed these two restrictive diets together. And I'm like, this is the way to heal. This is the way to fix my body. Right. And I had kind of like, once again, felt like my body had left, let me down. Like there was like, why can't you function like everybody else? Why can't you be normal? Like all of these, these feelings kind of came up and I kept thinking, well, the way to, to fix this is to, is to, to, to restrict. Um, and I remember at one point calling my mom over and she lived 45 minutes away at the time. So she like had to get in her car and drive 45 minutes because I was losing my mind. And I was like, I can't live like this. I like, I'm so grateful for that time that I was able to stop myself and said, like acknowledge that it was a really unhealthy mindset around my food and around my body. And I didn't want to go down a very slippery slope anymore. And so I said, to hell with it. I'm not going on these restrictive diets. This is not the way to heal. And I also, at the same time, which is so crazy, are you familiar with um, Cyrex labs? Yeah. And they're different. Okay. So Cyrex Array 10, I believe it is, is kind of like gold standard, depending on who you ask for food sensitivity testing. And it's an expensive test. It's like seven or $800. And at the time I wasn't working. So it's not like we were like rolling in the dough. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to spend the money because I want to figure out what foods I'm sensitive to. And one food came back. Freaking one food. And I felt like it was almost divine intervention coming in and being like, Erin, it's not about the food. It's not about the food. Go somewhere else. Like, figure it out. It's not the food. Oh my gosh. So much in there that I just like want to start getting deeper into, girl. That is huge. So yes, um, I guess my first thought is you went from, you know, a teenager seeing food as something you could restrict to change your body to get approval, to be like skinny as you were getting like compliments and things like that, right? And then more in your adult life, you're not feeling good. You develop like SIBO and another autoimmune disease. And then you turn to food as a way to fix those 
like health issues. And I think this is so common, especially you and I both holistic nutritionists, and we're very familiar with this fixing mentality, right? People come to us with certain health issues and they're looking to food as a way to fix themselves. So you called your mom and you were like, I can't go down this road again, right? So how did you even approach this? Um, well, I would say both in my recovery from an eating disorder and my recovery and my healing journey with an autoimmune disease, it was, it was recognizing that I needed to be patient and recognizing that things weren't going to happen overnight. And it's a practice, which means you have to practice that, right? That doesn't happen. Like you don't wake up the next day and be like, everything's great. I'm healed. Right. It's like, it's something that you have to keep putting in, into practice day in and day out. Um, and it, I think we're so bre like bred for, um, we're not primed for patience. You know, like our culture really breeds us for immediate gratification, instant gratification. Like I want this and I want it now and I'm going to get it now. And we get that throughout our entire lives. Um, and so when it comes to healing and recovery, I think we might have some of that mentality that it should happen right now. As, as soon as I set the intention, it should happen. Or as soon as I try something new and different, it should happen. And when something doesn't happen, we feel like, like something's wrong with us or like we, you know, like, you know, like we failed and then we switch gears and we're like, well, I'm going to go to the next thing, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we have like this nation of women who are constantly switching gears, looking for the next thing. And nobody's just being still and saying, you know what, I'm going to give myself time. I'm going to give myself patience. I'm going to give myself grace. I'm going to allow myself to forgive myself and understand that this process might not look what look like what I think it should look like in my head. Um, so that would be like, that is, is kind of it. And again, I'm working through some of it right now. It keeps coming up as this idea of just like being patient and giving myself time to explore, um, which isn't a very straightforward answer. Like nobody, it's not like somebody can listen to this and go like tomorrow, I'm going to be more patient, but that's really what it was. It was about. It was truly, truly, truly listening to myself, um, and you know, we hear a lot about mindful eating and we hear a lot about intuitive eating, right? And so many people come to me and they're like, I want to learn how to eat intuitively. How do I do that? Well, you have to be, if you want to be an intuitive eater, you have to be intuitive in every other area of your life. You have to use mindfulness in every other area of your life. You don't just walk into the kitchen one day and turn on your intuition, right? It doesn't work that way. So for me, it, it, it so much of my recovery involved taking the focus off of the food, right? And I know we've all probably heard this a million and a half times, but it was really looking at every other aspect of my life. It was looking at a relationship I had. I had to leave a relationship, right? I had been with somebody for four years and realized that we weren't in love. I had to move out. I had to move into my mom's house, like at like in my mid twenties. It was like a weird, you know. Um, I started working at a different job. I, do you know, I just, I did more yoga. It was like so many things in my life just had to get completely overhauled and restructured. And then the food thing just like fell into place. Like it just did. It, I don't mean to make it sound 
more simple than it was because it really wasn't overhauling your life. Like changing food is easy, right? That's why we're all after the diets. Changing food and manipulating food is extremely easy in comparison to changing your entire relationship to your life, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're taught all of the time via diet culture that all we need to do in order to love ourselves is just go on this 21-day plan and that's it. That is it. That's salvation. That's self-love. That's like, you're going to get everything through dieting. Um, and I had to just like totally call BS on that message and start to recognize it every single time I saw it. Because right now the whole concept of intuitive eating, mindful eating, lifestyle change is huge and it's marketable. And so the diet industry takes that and regurgitates it. And it's like, this isn't a diet. This is a lifestyle change. And like learning to like, call BS on that was really, really helpful and powerful for me to just shift my own mindset around it, acknowledging it when I saw it, um, and calling it out and following other people that did the same thing and kind of, kind of gave me a support system to be like, see other people think this is crazy too. So uh, did I even answer your question? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I so appreciate everything. And again, I have so many things to say, but I'll go back to um, when you did get that food sensitivity test back and literally one food came back. So this was when you were kind of triggered to be like, wow, it's actually not the food. I need to look at other areas of my life. So you kind of went into that with just your previous answer. You looked at like your relationship and all these other areas of your life because that test came back and kind of did just like throw it in your face and said, hey, Aaron, it's not about the food. Yeah. At first I was like, can I have my $700 back? And then I was like, you know what? This is like, this is huge. This is huge. And this was at two, excuse me, very different times in my life. So my eating disorder recovery was, was like a lot, like before I met my husband and just like, Oh, I don't know how exactly how many years ago, but quite a few years ago. And then the autoimmune stuff, it like, it was after I had my baby. So three years ago, um, and it just re-triggered a lot of the old stuff, which is, Something that I've said before, and it's like so dorky. Do you watch the show Friends? Oh, of course. It's like my favorite show. <laughs> okay. So remember after Ross and Rachel broke up and then she was like reading him this long letter and he had to read the letter before they got back together. I don't remember the exact episode name. But there's something that Rachel said. She was quoting her mom and she was like, once a cheater, always a cheater. And that's always stuck out of my head because I feel like, once an eating disorder, always an eating disorder. And that might sound really, really discouraging for some people listening, but I see it more as a gauge. Like when those, it's like a tool that I use. When those thoughts come up, I know that something is, go, is, something is going on in my life that needs some attention. Something is you know, something's a myth and I have to, that I've been neglecting and I have to put my attention on it. So it's, it, to me, it's a really powerful tool. That is huge. And I don't find that dorky at all. I think that is absolutely amazing. And I haven't ever heard 
someone say that before, but I think it's actually brings up a really great conversation seeing as how you and I both have history of eating disorders. And it seems like we are definitely in like aligned with the way we see them is that even though you can be fully recovered from an eating disorder, it doesn't mean that you know, it's almost like kind of being in remission from one in a way, right? Because like you said, if something comes up within your life and something's not right, you can be triggered. And it's just like recognizing like I, you know, I have, I'm recovered from anorexia, but do I still deal with thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. But it's just not acting on those thoughts. It's recognizing them. And I really like how you said, you know, when you're getting maybe triggered or these thoughts um, or like urges to do a behavior, it's almost like a little nudge for you to look in other areas of your life for what's not quite right here. Totally. And I think, you know, like you, like you said, you're you can consider it in remission from anorexia, but we're still living in a culture that beat, like that we have fought so hard to recover and to work our minds over, over this message, right? But we're constantly inundated. We're like steeping in a stew of the messages over and over and over again. So of course, and I, and I try to like really emphasize that, that fact, like don't beat yourself up for having those thoughts. Don't beat yourself up for wanting to be skinny. I mean, you're literally like just soaked in the messaging, everybody telling you. So I like try to give myself a pass when those thoughts come up and same thing for, for everybody else. And, you know, like I think about it, it's very similar to what you and Jessica talked about. It's that for us, restriction feels really safe. That provided us with safety for a very long time. And so when I start to go into my restriction and I never act on it, it's more of like thoughts, right? When I start to notice my restrictive thoughts, that's a really good call to action um, for me because it's like, well, where in my life am I not feeling safe? Like, why do I feel like I have to soothe myself this way? Um, so it's, it's, it can be really helpful, I think, to look at it that way. That's so good. And I also love that you touched on the fact that, you know, we are in this culture that is so fixated on looking a certain way, whether that's losing weight or gaining muscle and getting lean. And, you know, there's so many different things that are promoted out there. And it's not wrong to have those thoughts, right? And I it's just like you said, you just kind of give yourself a pass on that. It's like, okay, of course I had that thought because I'm immersed in this culture that leads me to think that way. And I'm really happy you brought that up because I do get a lot of questions from different girls saying, you know, is it wrong that I'm thinking about looking a certain way kind of thing because you're bombarded by all of these messages? Yeah. And I like give yourself permission to like, let that be okay. But also, and this is where, um, you know, like my dragon comes out a little bit. That's what my husband and, and daughter call it. This is where my, my shadow side starts to reveal itself. 
also understand what those messages are put in place for because a culture, this is a Naomi Wolf quote that I'm going to totally butcher, but it's like a culture focused on female thinness is not really fixated on beauty. It's more about obedience. So if we're all running around as women, super worried about what our pant size is, we're not really paying attention to the crap storm that's going on around us, right? We are tractable, which means we can be easily controlled. And I think this is a very poignant time to bring something like this up, regardless of your politics. We all know what's going on in the news. Um, we all know what's happening out there. But listen, like, talking to a rebel, right? Like, do you feel good about the fact that somebody else gets to control you by keeping you small? Like, dieting is just playing small. Being focused on your weight is just playing small, right? Mm -hmm. It's like saying, I don't really matter that much. I'm just going to really focus on like, what my body looks like, what this little box looks like, and I'm not going to look outside of myself. And I just can't get with that. I cannot live my life that way. Um, I can't. I can't, I'd rather be taking up more space, you know, literally, figuratively, all of it, um, and making more of an impact and making more change. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I don't really care if my tombstone says, like, look how skinny Aaron Holt Health was, you know? I, I care more, like, yeah, Aaron Holt was a badass and she changed things, you know? Like, that's really what it boils down for me. And so sometimes, when I get caught up in the weeds, I have to remind myself of that. Like, listen, if I'm really fixated on what my stomach looks like today, that is a plan that was put in place by people to keep me small. And I'm all set. I'm all done. I'm set with that. Awesome. So you challenge those thoughts, really, because I was going to get you to speak to those girls that have come to me about saying, hey, Meg, like, I don't feel comfortable where I am right now. Um, and again, I'll kind of describe one of these girls. You know, a lot of these girls have a history of disordered eating, whether that be actual eating disorder or disordered eating that they have overcome. Now they're not feeling super comfortable in their body and they're looking to change their body again as though like they need to change again. Um, so how can we speak to those women? I would, I would just start to the dialogue around, all right, well, what would happen if you took the emphasis off of your body for a minute? Um, and I like to build parameters. I think we feel safe in within working within parameters. Um, so whether it's like a month or six months, like, can you give yourself permission to just explore for a short period of time, take the emphasis, take the focus off of your body, take the focus off of your weight and start to pay attention to like other things in your life, whether that's like getting better sleep or spending more quality time with the people that you care about or axing people, like just straight up canceling people that don't work for you anymore. Like I'm a huge believer in setting boundaries um, and maybe taking a look at your life and realizing where boundaries need to be set. Like at the end of the day, what is causing this like hyper focus on your body and like start to unpack that a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And I think setting boundaries is a form of self-care that gets missed by so many people. You know, we're in this, again, we're in this culture that people think self-care is like 
buying themselves things or having a bubble bath and all those things are great. But I think setting boundaries for yourself is like what people need to be doing when they're approaching self-care. But it's so hard to do. I mean, I think once you start it and it sounds like you're on the same train as me, it like almost becomes addictive and then it's like contagious to the people around you. But doing it is really, really hard because as women, we're taught that like we have to put everybody else's comfort needs above our own. And setting boundaries often is saying like, I matter so much to myself that I'm willing to make you feel uncomfortable. And that is hard because it like literally goes against everything that we're taught to believe about ourselves. So, um, but I completely agree about the whole self-care thing. It's like, you know, self-care is often like the messy, dirty work that we really would rather not do. Um, it's like looking at old beliefs and it's looking at ways that you don't make yourself a priority. And it's like all that, it's kind of hard work. Um, it's not always a bubble bath to your, to your point, but, um, but I think the, the whole boundary setting thing is extraordinarily important. And, um, well, I'll share a, just a really quick story because it's like, I, cause I think once you start setting boundaries and start saying like, Hey, I matter, you can feel really bad or you can feel really guilty or you can feel like, uh Oh, I'm doing something wrong. Right. And we get like really anxious about it, especially in the beginning. Um, I had to, I had to bring, I had a set of boundary for myself a couple of years ago. It was around work and I had to talk to somebody who was a boss, a friend, and a mentor. So it was somebody I had a very good relationship with and I had to call him out on something that happened and it did not go well. It was so scary. I was like, I'm just going to like put my head in the sand and pretend the situation isn't happening so I don't have to deal with it. And I had a very good friend who was like, you need to confront this head on. And, um, I did, and it went bad. It went as bad as it could have gone. And I realized listen, the worst case scenario happened and I'm still okay. And not only am I okay, but I feel really good because I just stood up for myself. And I actually feel really powerful and really proud of myself. And so sometimes I would say like, if somebody is, you know, new, I would say just to setting boundaries, understand it can be really hard in the beginning. Um, but just go through it. If like, if you know, it's right, just, just do it. Um, because it feels really good on the other side too. Yeah. And despite the worst case scenario happening too, right? I think that's so important. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. That's great because I think when people share those stories, often it's like, oh, everything worked out and I was so proud of myself for setting this boundary. But to be real, like it sometimes it doesn't end well. Right. No, but, I shattered a relationship. I yeah. shattered a really important relationship in my life. But if it, if at the end of the day, they couldn't be there and say like, I see you, I, I hear you and I'm validating you, then they had to be canceled. You know, like mm-hmm. they're, you know, I just need people in my life. Listen, I'm 34 and I just, I feel like I don't have the time or the patience to deal with people who aren't cheering me on from the sidelines. Right. Mm -hmm. I know like oftentimes when we're talking about setting boundaries, we talk about saying no and turning people down and just, you know, all of that kind of good stuff, which I think is extremely important. And I just don't have space in my life for somebody. If I'm going to tell them no, and they, they, they get upset by that, like then we're done. I'm sorry. 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of the way that I take care of myself too. Mm-hmm. And I do think with setting boundaries, it's almost like we need to change our perception of it. I think so many of us assume that setting boundaries is going to offend someone else or upset someone else. And we have to remove that assumption and just kind of set these boundaries and realize that setting boundaries isn't selfish or rude and likely the people in your life are going to be supportive of them. Totally. Um, and there is a, there's a, this is like so weird because it's from a rapper Cormega who is like wicked obscure and I'm sure nobody's heard of him, but, um, he says it's not arrogance. It's, I'm not having it right? And there's a difference. And I think as women, as we start to like stand up for ourselves, we're like, well, people are going to think that I'm a, you know, I don't want to say a swear word, but a swear word, or people are going to think that I'm too cocky or people are going to think that I'm arrogant. And it's not, it's just saying like, listen, I'm not having this. I'm not doing this. It doesn't mean that I'm a horrible person. It just means that I'm standing up for myself and just like, get on board with that. And to your point, most people in your life are going to be like, awesome way to go, you know? Yeah. But even if they don't, still going to be okay as long as you stand up for yourself. Yeah. Oh man, I could talk about self-care and setting boundaries all day, but I do really want to talk about um back with the fixing mentality because we are coming to the end of the show, but I want to talk about again that food sensitivity test that came back because I yeah. think it's really really important that we talk more about the fixing mentality. I think this is so important in our culture today because there are so many people that are going to run those food sensitivity tests and they aren't just going to get one food back, right? So for the people that, I mean, you and I work with a lot of nutrition clients. We run food sensitivity tests and we're finding a lot of food sensitivities, but we don't want our clients to approach this with the, I need fixing. I need to restrict to fix myself. Right. And I'm sure you work with these clients as well. And you've even applied this within your own life to approach food in a non-fixing, non-restricting, non-lack mentality. Totally. It is, I would say this is part of the hardest, like hardest thing that I do as a nutritionist is exactly what you just said, because, and especially working in the whole functional alternative health world, so many of the tools that we're given, that we are given as practitioners are really steeped in restriction. Right. And I think it's kind of, I really think it's like cool that we both have similar backgrounds with, with eating disorders, because not everybody can really relate to that. I mean, I think a lot of women can, but not everybody can truly relate. So it kind of gives us this like weird, unique perspective, um, where I say, okay, as a functional practitioner, here are all my tools to work with. And a lot of them are therapeutic elimination style restrictive diets. And then on the other hand, most of the women that are coming to me have some type of background restriction and disorder. And so like, what do you do with that? It's so hard. Um, I think a lot of it is, is dialogue, meeting people where they're at. It's asking the question, like, how does this feel to you? Does, is this scary? Does it feel restrictive? Sometimes 
you can see um, people, and this is especially true with folks that have had like serious eating disorders, they get really excited about a new diet. And I think you have to be really careful around that too, because it's like, are they excited because it gives them a way out or are they excited because it's like a new way to restrict that, like somebody else's green lighting, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think there's, it's important to, to talk about, there's a fine line between, um, doing what your body needs to thrive. And sometimes that does involve removing certain foods, but also, um, taking care of yourself. And so one thing that I do, even if we are removing foods is making sure that people are getting adequate nutrients and adequate calories and adequate food, really. Um, because we don't want to take, you know, couple an elimination diet with like a low calorie thing too. Um, but I think it's just, everybody is so unique. And I think, I think, having a really strong relationship with a practitioner is that, that it understands what you're going through is so, so important. Um, unfortunately I can't just really give out like specific straightforward advice because everybody really is wicked different when it comes to how they respond to food and diets. Mm -hmm. No, but I'm really happy that you touched on the point that people might get excited about being handed a new like guideline or way of eating. Um, you said they might be getting excited because it's just a new way for them to restrict. But as you were saying that, I couldn't help but think that because we talked about safety earlier in this episode and I've seen it even in my own life is that when you're handed something new, it's like and I've gotten excited about it because it's almost like it gives me this new thing to feel safe without actually going into myself and getting that safety for myself. So bang on and so true. And I think that's another reason that I'm so excited that we're both doing the work with Jessica Flanagan because it gives us more, more tools to go into that. But being able to recognize that in your in your clients is so, so big or in yourself for the listeners, you know, being able to recognize that in yourself and like really check in. If you find yourself getting excited about something like that, where's that excitement coming from and why, and really explore that within yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much inner work, right? So I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up the show. So you said that right here, I'm, you're 34 right now, and you said you are so far past your eating disorder and you can talk about it so casually now because you're like so removed from it. So what in your life do you think throughout your journey and throughout recovery was maybe the one of the biggest pieces for you in getting to where you are today and feeling so kind of like badass and confident in your being right now? Um, if this is going to sound really, really cheesy, but yoga and meditation were such a huge part of my recovery. Like I could not have done it without them. I started a yoga practice because I was running. I was really, really hard on my body. I was running and I kept getting injured and my mom dragged me to a vinyasa yoga class 
and I immediately fell in love. And it was the type of thing where I'm like, listen, I want to show up for myself because I love, I love the work that I'm doing here on the mat and I want to keep showing up for myself. So I'm not going to do something when I know I have to go to class at 6am the next day, I'm not going to do something that could be potentially really hard on my body because I want to bring my best self to my mat. And so that was a very big component in, um, in my recovery. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest piece. And in terms of the confidence thing, I don't know. I think some of that comes with age. Some of that comes with stopping, like ending the focus on my body and ending the focus on my diet so I could open my eyes and see the world at large and see all the injustice in the world and feel like, oh my God, I got to do something about this. Um, and I, I just feel confident because I feel like I have a really powerful message to deliver. And it's like, we got to stop doing this to ourselves. Like we have to stop hating ourselves. You know, I truly believe that, that this, this diet culture eventually led to chronic illness in my body because I was taught to hate myself, right? I, I was taught that I wasn't worthy and I had to keep showing up to try to fix myself over and over and over again and try to love myself through dieting, which by the way, never works. And as we know, the thoughts that we have in our body truly inform our biology. And so having these self-hate thoughts over and over and over for most of my life kind of put my body in training. And we know autoimmunity is essentially self-hack. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I've kind of been in training for that most of my life. Yeah. So what gives me the confidence is being able to call BS on that message on, in public platforms, even I if I get really that. scared. <laughs> I love you. I could talk to you forever. One last question that I ask all of my guests is what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Oh my gosh, I wish you had prepped me for this. I am not very good with thinking on my feet. And I'm going to say something probably really dorky that I'll like regret later on. Um, Unbreakable. I think it's really just showing up for yourself. It's staking a claim on your own life. It's saying like, I matter. And it's having the balls to say, I matter more than anybody else in my life. I think that's what it is. Um, I didn't need to prep you for that. That was amazing. (laughs) Kate, Aaron, thank you so much for the great chat today. Where can people find you? I know they're going to want to even listen to your podcast. You have an amazing podcast. So definitely want to send everyone your way. Cool. So my podcast is called the Functional Nutrition Podcast. Functional is F-U-N-K apostrophe T-I-O-N-A-L. Um, and then everything else is Aaron Holt Health. So AaronHoltHealth.com is my website and my Instagram is at Aaron Holt Health. Great. And I will be linking everyone up to you as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Cool. Thank you so much. 